Lori Loaded, thank you for coming onto the show to talk about, you chose three episodes that you wanted to go through. I try to, I try to reach out to people and say, pick an episode that you want to do, but give me a couple of options in case that we talked about it recently or something like that. And you came back with Measure of a Man, which we've talked about recently, and The Pale Moonlight, and then The Drumhead which were eventually chose, but I'm curious why you picked those three in the first place to be the episodes that you wanted to uh, to discuss. I did. Well, first thing, thanks for having me on. It's always uh, fun to be a part of the Penske file. Love, uh, love the podcast and the, the Twitter when we have the conversation. <laughs> uh, you know, the reason why I chose them was more because I, the one thing for Trek, I think uh, that really pushes for me at least is that it uh, challenges us as humans and it makes us take a look at ourselves as well as uh kind of um can can give moral implications and so when people ask me what are my favorite ones or what ones do i enjoy talking about generally it's those because i again i think that it's uh the height of trek to look at morality or look at ethics or just to question what it is to be human so would you say those are three of the best episodes? Would you have all of those in like a top 10 or are those your top three episodes of Star Trek? TNG. Uh, so I guess, I guess it's not TNG. I, you have a DS nine episode mixed in there as yeah. well. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would say it was, um, I'd have to think about that. Cause again, I think Trek has so many facets to it that there are, that it can be tough to say, well, these are just my, um, top three i guess so again just going back on what we were discussing the fact that it um is really the pinnacle of trek when you look at it from that way i would say yeah i it's probably within the top 10 uh probably of the top 10 it's the more serious ones i'd probably take a look at the ones that are more uh fanciful or light-hearted within that list after those but mm-hmm. yeah i'd say they're in the top 10 yeah it's funny i'd say that pale moonlight and measure of a man are both overrated episodes of star trek the drumhead, oh, really? as we're going to get into, I think might be underrated, but that'll be a little bit of a tease. I'm going to read the information about what this episode is. It's called The Drumhead, and as soon as I scroll up, I can say that it is the 21st episode of the fourth season. came out on the 29th of April, 1991, written by Jerry Taylor, directed by Jonathan Two Takes Frakes. In-universe date is 44769.2, which is 2367, some month thereabouts. In this episode called The Drumhead, an overzealous Starfleet admiral begins a witch hunt aboard the Enterprise determined to find a conspiracy and eventually accuses Captain Picard of treason. She does a lot more than that, Admiral Satie. Uh, we're going to be talking about the drumhead. I, um, for context, the first time we watched this through, I think I watched it with Tana and Clay, potentially, okay. I think, on the original um, podcast. I remember... I haven't watched this episode since we did that about five years ago. Um, I remembered being down on this, even though I gave it a five out of five on our scoring thing. It was one of those, this is a five, but I don't think this is one of the best fives that the show has ever done. Uh, I have it just outside the top 10 in my total overall rankings of Star Trek TNG. I have it at 13, which is meaningless because it changes on a day-to-day basis. But (laughs) it goes to show where I think that this actually sits because there's probably only, you know, a handful of fives in the entire uh, run of shows and I had the drum head outside the top 10 for it watching it again I think I've changed my mind I think it is a top 10 episode of TNG which bumps it up slightly but I was um, 
I, I think my major takeaway from watching it this time is how much the world has changed in the past five years since I watched the episode a while ago. <laughs> and I think what makes the episode great and that I was underappreciating was how timeless of a concept it is. Uh, it has other things going for it, but that's that's what I'll throw to you. Um, timeless episode, just good writing. Is there something else going on with this one? Well, it kind of goes back to what we we're saying, and that might deviate a little bit because I, I wonder at this at this time in my life if the world has really changed or just like our perceptions of the world have changed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like as as a kid, the world seemed a lot safer than it probably was. Um, so I think I would say that it's timeless because I I do think that perhaps this type of atmosphere has existed in one form or another. We just see it more with social media. Uh, so I would agree that it's timeless. I think one of the so uh, I'm sure I'm not sure how much your audience knows about my channel, but or, or what I do. But I I break down Star Trek episodes as well. And one of the most interesting things about it is that uh, regardless of what a person believes or thinks, they turn this episode towards their specific bias. Yeah. So not only do I think it's timeless, I think that somehow people will justify. Uh, what they believe, how it, how it speaks to their situation. Yeah. So I, I just, I think, I think it's very special in that way. It does. It justifies priors. Um, it's interesting. It's what I, what I always see on Twitter is funny because, um, we don't have to, we won't get into it too much, but Star Trek, uh, Twitter drives me a little bit crazy. Oh, all, yeah. all the, all the, oh, all the sub genres of Twitter drive me a little bit crazy. <laughs> so you need yeah. to mix them all, but there's always a, there's always this meme that, um, why do conservatives watch Star Trek? That's like a meme that happens in yeah. Star Trek Twitter. They they say it all the time. I'm not I'm not conservative. I don't identify as conservative, um, but it always feels a little bit silly when they say things like this because I find this episode to be traditionally extremely conservative. It's a it's right. an extremely conservative point of view, and it's heralded as one of the great Star Trek episodes. Um, right. So I, the 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 uh, discord between those two points of view just goes to show what you were talking about earlier where this is an episode that really exposes priors in people and it's what they view is largely what it's how they receive this episode is more what uh it says about the person than the actual episode which is really fantastic i think jerry taylor did a terrific job of not being super specific although she is super she is specific in some ways which we'll get into but i think to toss it back to you it's um it's an episode that when I was younger, maybe five years ago, I would have gone, oh, this is about the Nazis. <laughs> she, she's talking <laughs> about the Nazis. When, when I was a stupid 20-year-old college kid, I would have been like, this is the Republican Party that she's talking about, whatever. Uh, now that I'm a little bit older, and I believe in like horseshoe theory of politics, right. I'm like, oh, this is everybody. <laughs> like she's, yeah. she's literally talking about everybody who has a strong belief about something and is willing to, to subvert morals ethics and good general standing with people in order to make a point right it's about ideology and it it doesn't um it doesn't necessarily speak to one ideology over the other when you really break down what they're talking about uh it's it's more uh reflective of not only the information or what's being said or or what we're looking at but how we deal with it 
you know, because uh, you see between Picard and Satie, uh, situations occur and you see how they react to it individually. They have the same information. They're just reacting to it in much different ways. Uh, and what I what I always thought was um, was interesting, too, is that sometimes or in, in some instances, uh, Satie, she goes about it wrong her her methods are wrong but maybe not her caution i think sometimes uh i think that if sati had handled it in a different way uh it probably we would first off we wouldn't have the drama so it wouldn't have done that but i mean if she if it was real life and handled it different way uh people might have agreed with her a bit more yeah she's one one of the one of the technical things I like about this episode is that I think that's an extremely strong script. We're in the middle of an Enterprise watch through and it's like, my God, mm-hmm. like could Enterprise take a lesson from TNG about how to actually compose a good script? Um, it's super tight. It's, 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 you know, everything, an Enterprise episode, which is a lesser Star Trek show, would have shown the explosion, right, in the cold open. It would have shown mm-hmm. all of this stuff. There would have been like, they wouldn't have had any belief that the audience would buy into the concept without just jumping, like showing you from the start that there was an explosion. This thing all got shut down. This Admiral came on. The drumhead starts right in the middle of them knowing that something went wrong. They already have a suspect at hand. Like there's already, we're already well into it. And then each scene is just perfectly constructed to push the thing forward. And you look at something like Enterprise, Enterprise likes to languish and sort of sit around in its scenes. It likes to have like a lot of just people sitting and sort of like bullshitting each other for uh, for whatever reason. This script, and TNG didn't always do it, it just moves and it gets a lot done and it gets it all out of the way and um, brings everything to light. I think it's probably one of the best scripts that the show ever did in a technical sense. I think it just is tight and effective and memorable and um, lean at the same time. It's really good writing. Yeah. And to my understanding, it was a bottle show, I think. And if it was, it's definitely how you want to do your bottle shows, Uh, which for those who don't know, it's when you're trying to save money. So you keep the, you minimize the um, uh, guest stars and you keep all of the same sets you're trying to, it's just a a money saving, Uh, which, which they've done a couple of those, which is really, really done. Well, I, um, Interestingly, though, this set is new, right? This little—it's—I'm sure it's not an expensive thing to build, but the set that they're in for the investigations, I don't think has ever been seen on the show before, right? That I thought they redid uh, Ten Forward. I could be wrong about that, hmm. but I thought that was just a Ten Forward redressed. I could be wrong. Maybe you're right, and I'm—I missed it, uh, and I could be wrong about it being bottle show. But I thought it was. No, I'm pretty I, uh, sure it is. But yeah, it's like even. Obviously, it, it doesn't cost a lot to rebuild that sets, but I was surprised that they didn't just have a more gen- like you could easily see it taking DS9 place in the conference room or something like that. That's what DS Nine did with uh, I forget when they put Jedzia on trial, they um, redressed uh, Quarks. Quarks bar, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that would be, and I actually I enjoyed that one too. But in Quarks bar, it makes absolutely no sense. Right. They they needed to uh, the one the other thing I like. To your point, uh, I think Enterprise gets a little bit better, especially into the Zindi arc. But uh, one thing I liked is they also, and they didn't do this on purpose because this wasn't the way they wrote for TV shows back then, but they used previous episodes to uh, justify what was going on. So uh, we'd had issues with Klingons and Romulans uh, co, you know, 
having um, being co-conspirators yeah. of people of uh, Klingons thinking that the Romulans are stronger. And so they use that uh, and they use continuity. And then again, just the, the stepping stones that put everything together again, depending on how Satie could have handled it, it could have made more sense. So they, they caught, they came in cause they thought there was a saboteur. Uh, they caught the actual saboteur it was the Klingon, but then, you know, there was evidence that there could be other things going on. So it is natural to at least take a look at that. You don't want to just ignore it. Uh, but then she takes it too far. So, but again, it's not unreasonable. It's not until she, uh, it's revealed to be an accident. They they determine yeah. that it's an accident, and that doesn't shut down the investigation. Is the right. the turning point for her? Well, and I, well, I'll say this. I'll say this. I think again, she was on a witch hunt and everything. But if you have a if even if it was an accident that did it, but you have a person that lied and could have a connection to an enemy, you can at least look into that. She went to destroy his life, which obviously is not something that mm -hmm. she should have done, yeah. but at least doing a little bit more research into it. You know what I'm saying? Take him aside, look at what he's done, clear him and then just keep him moving. I, um, one of the only negative pieces about the episode, I think is that it seems like his life was either destroyed or hit very detrimentally when I think they had the opportunity to allow him to continue. You know what I'm saying? They're not very specific about what he, he speaks kind of like my career is over, but they don't give any actual specifics about what has happened, whether he thinks it's like a reputational thing and no one will ever trust him again, or if there's actually a, um, a sanction coming down on him for some reason. So I'd, he, he's certainly ruined by it. Although, uh, actor wise, he seems like kind of a nervous Nelly who might be compl complaining right. about that kind of stuff anyway. Uh, so it's hard to tell, but uh, unless I'm well, missing something. At the end, Picard says a man's career lies in ashes. Okay. Or something. Yeah. Now he could have been he could have been dramatic or over flourishing because I, I think uh, I think Picard's base character, unless they just write him uh, out of character, I think his base instinct would probably be to allow the man to continue to serve and and grow within yep. the ranks. But he does say it lies in ashes. But again, that could have been some flourish for what his speech that he's doing. Interestingly, you know? I only picked up on this episode. He's not an officer, that kid. He never went to the academy. He's just a yeah. he's just a tech or whatever who who serves in in the the sick bank of shots. Uh, which is an interesting choice. I guess they did it to make it seem more relatable so that when it's taken away, you as an audience member go like, oh, this guy didn't even go to college or whatever, and I, I never went to college and things like that. It's, it's more of like a um, the Academy is heralded as like this like future of Star Trek and Starfleet and everything, but not being enlisted, this is one, probably one of the most early acknowledgments that there are people on the ship that aren't enlisted. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's a part of, it's part of the retcon because the first... First season for sure. Second season too, everybody was an officer, but they, I think they wanted to make him the everyman, yeah. kind of like O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, he's O'Brien. Although I, I think maybe yeah. at this point O'Brien might still have been considered because they they changed that about <laughs> O'Brien at some point. Yeah, yeah, he was an officer at the beginning too. Yeah, yeah, I I I think that it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting setup in the development of everything and her going on this witch hunt is kind of a I think it I think it's an effective build. Like I think narratively the build of her getting more and more desperate to find something wrong matches how you want to like build your climbing action in the story. Like you want things to be getting worse and worse and Picard become neutered and more neutered as he's eventually taken off the case and he can't have any impact on things. Uh she is the she's the, the 
she's really in a lesson in having a determined outlook and then trying to prove it afterwards. Like she's she's that failure of a character. She believes something and then is going to work until she finds enough reasons to find that that is the outcome that uh, was all, all but destined. And they do. What do you think of Sati? Is she is she developed as a character? Or is she just fine for what she needs to be in this episode, which is only 42 minutes long? Well, I think she's just going back to that. She's the penultimate uh, Twitter Trekkie or or and we don't even have to go to Twitter, but the, the penultimate uh, person who has an opinion of uh, someone else or a movement and will say something. But even if it's not right, will then say, well, we'll just go and find something, right? Because, sure. I mean, how many times, again, on Twitter or wherever, will someone say something that's untrue, be proven that it's untrue, and then go in search of reasons to justify why they still felt that way yeah. anyway? Keeps you up all so, night. Think you gotta, you got you to find that right. research study that proves what you were saying. And I think that's where that's where most everyone, whether you're on the right or the left, uh, when watching this, misses the forests for the trees. Because... Uh, her, her sin isn't that she, uh, just hated Romulans or just thought that, uh, everyone was a traitor that doesn't believe her, her, her ultimate sin, the core failure of her character was that she never, she was never looking for truth and she all, she never, uh, accepted that someone could be innocent, that she was wrong. Mm-hmm. If if for any reason she um, they were proven innocent of something, she would go after something else, and that that's the core failure of the character. And what I think um, what I think Picard was saying we need to fight against. You- it's it's no it's it's specific to the ideology of the person, not necessarily. Uh, how that ideology comes out. I'm sorry. What were you saying? Well, so t- yeah, so he's. Sati's interesting to me because I think that she is effective at what she need, she needs to be in this episode, and her her rationale for what she does I think makes complete sense. I, I think the fact that it's only like a forty something minute show is only really felt at the end when Picard kind of picks up on the fact that her father is the reason that all like her her father being disappointed in her from the grave or whatever is going to be the reason that she finally realizes what's wrong with her. I don't know how they better wrap this up, but it always just strikes me as a little bit for a character who could have been like a great recurring character or someone who is capable of probably handling a plot. She's easily undone at the end by Picard sort of going off track to take her down. Like he he relies on a very he he doesn't beat her in the courtroom. Interestingly, it's not like it's not that evidence wins out. He basically just triggers her, and that causes her to freak out. And then the admiral walks out stone faced. You know, it's it's a it's an effective, and I think it's a believable ending. But it's also strange that Picard's defeat of her is only that it causes her to crack more than it's a. You don't spend much, that much time with the realization on her part that what have I done kind of thing. It's more she she does realize that, but it, the episode doesn't spend time on that. It just shows her being broken, and then the credits roll, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah, if they were, I don't know because I I think it does for what they wanted. I didn't think they, I don't think they were looking for a reoccurring character. I think they just wanted to do a one off. But if they were going to do a reoccurring, uh, I guess the the best way to write it would be to turn the tables on her. 
Uh, and I'm not sure how you would write that in a as um, pleasing an ending, but because when you watch her slow denigration or the destruction, uh, she just turns on everyone and starts bringing up all of their background, right? Uh, everything that they've ever done wrong. She does it to Worf. She does it to Picard. Uh, she, of course, does it to the man, the young man. I would have spent some time, either earlier in this episode or in previous episodes, building up her character a little bit, mm-hmm. talking about her a little more, getting her background, and then having that turned on her so that she can see that you can make any story. You can make a person into anything you want them to be because no one, you know, no one is perfect. They're sure. always going to have issues. And then it would take more than 40 minutes. You'd have to have her come back. And if I did it, I'd have her come the way I'd probably do it. I don't know when measure of a man was, but if I was going to do something like that, I would have her shown the air of her ways at the end of drumhead and then have her representing data in measure of a man. Oh, sure. I think if I was going to do that, that's probably how I'd do it. I was thinking Sati is interesting to me because I think they did improve on what Sati is uh, in a later episode, in a later series, actually. Because what uh, Sati becomes is Sloan in DS9. And I think he's a much better character and he's much more interesting. And Sati's point of view is actually, to me, a proto-Section 31 ideology. Uh, Did you ever read the, um, or do you know the book, The Three Languages of Politics? Uh, no, I haven't read it. I think, I think his name is Robert Kling or something. It's short. I, I would mm-hmm. I recommend anyone uh, read it. But he makes this argument that the reason that political discourse is so difficult is because people speak in three different languages uh, when they're talking about the same issue. And so people are never technically talking about the same thing because depending on your point of view, you have a different uh, outlook. So he, he argues that progressives view everything, every issue through the, the lens of oppressor versus oppressed the oppressed versus the oppressor. Conservatives look at the everything through the prism of civilization versus barbarism. And libertarians look at everything through coercion versus freedom. So you can look at something like the civil rights movement, which would be progressives would look at the civil rights movement of the 60s as oppressors, which would be white society oppressing uh, minorities and people of color. Conservatives would look at it as we can't change the rules because if we change the rules, civilization will fail at that point and that this is the the way that you need to keep going. And libertarians would say it's not within the state's right to tell people what to do. So passing something like the Civil Rights Act is actually immoral because it gives state coercive, uh, coercive powers over people that would take away their freedom. And obviously some arguments are better than others. The progressive argument seems to make sense in the civil rights context. Uh, the other two seem like they're pretty bad arguments when all things are said and done, but you can look at it in a lot of different ways uh, for all different issues. Sati, to me, is the conservative in his point of view. So Sati sees everything as civilization, which is Starfleet, is being taken apart by barbarism. So if if they're not there protecting what, what Starfleet stands for, then society breaks down. And that, like, these are the things that we have to protect. The enemy is at the gates, and we can't let that happen. Sloan in Section 31, when they're actually well-written and make sense, is the pinnacle of that argument, which is that we have to, in order to protect what we have, which is important, we have to do underhanded things that compromise our values, because if we don't do it, the enemy will take over, and loss of civilization is worse than us dirtying our hands in certain kinds of ways. 
Um, what's interesting about Sloane and why I think he's a better character is that Sloane recognizes what he's doing in himself actively and admits that what he's doing is the wrong moral choice, but that someone has to do it. Like, uh, you get to sleep well, doctor, at night because of men like me out there doing things that you don't think that you can do. Satie is a little bit more ignorant to that. She doesn't really realize what she's doing is wrong, which causes her to break down at the end. So I think that she's a little bit more prototypical and a little bit less interesting just because I like Sloan recognizing that he's doing the wrong thing, but for what he considers to be better reasons, which I actually agree with him. I, I do like Sloan in Section 31. I think he makes a convincing argument. But Satie is more of a TNG TOS model of a character, which is that she can't see the truth that Picard is going to expose to her. Um, so I find her a little bit less compelling in that regard, but it works much better in the TNG ethos of how the universe works to have Picard shatter her and, and show, explain to her that she's wrong. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. I um, I generally agree with what you've said in looking at Sloan. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I generally agree. I don't know that. I don't know. I'd have to think about that because Satie is quite deluded, and I think, um, and and you've spoke to that a little bit that it's her her ego and um, losing sight of. Um, what's really there. I, hmm, I'd, I'd have to think more about that. I, I could, I can see where you're coming from on that. I think, I think Sloan is an interest. I, so I think section 31 does make sense. I think section 31 is the only way all of it works. I also think section 31 destroys the message that Star Trek is trying to send or its original message. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do think that section 31 is pragmatic and makes sense. And I do, I like that Sloan, uh, has a soul. Like you also saw it in, um, uh, when they, the episode where he dies, uh, or we at least think he dies, um, with, uh, so Bashir's caught him. I forget the name of it. Bashir's caught him and he's talking to him. He could be trying to save his own life or try to talk to him, but I really think he was sincere when he says, look, I'm sorry that Odo had to die. I really didn't want to kill Odo, but this is the only way we have going forward. You know, yeah. I I thought he was sincere when he said that because I don't I don't think he honestly wanted to kill Odo, but I think he was willing to let Odo die to save the Federation. Kind of just going to what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I so yeah, I agree when it comes to that. It's quite possible. I just never really placed those two together. I would say you're right, writing wise. If they were going to do a Section Thirty One in TNG, it probably would be Satie. That's probably yeah, how. Yeah, I they mean, would. they both are. They're both. They're both have the ultimate goal of protecting federation values right that's the stated goal of both Satie right. and sloan uh i think that Satie, you know she talks about her father and her father was a great thinker and a great philosopher and to make them sort of debate the merits of the federation and try to improve themselves and try to improve their understanding of the world she eventually becomes zealous in that regard and is very myopic on what she considers to be the improvement like so, so her destructive focus is because of how myopic she is in trying to protect something she's willing to not pay attention to what the actual threat is sloan is very aware of the real threats to things and he's he's more intelligent than sati i think he has a um a better understanding and can actually rationalize what he's doing which makes it more compelling to me right um to bring it back to the other thing it's just what i think the only thing that i think implies something uh, about this episode is that 
with that Kling book that I was writing about, if Satie represents the conservative prism, which is to protect civilization against barbarism, Picard in this episode actually represents the um, libertarian point of view, which I think is also interesting because it falls on the right hand of the political spectrum. So Picard is arguing that the state is being too coercive and it's costing uh, people's freedom here in this episode where she's digging around too much. She has too much power to look into people's lives. This guy didn't do anything wrong. Like you need to prove that he did something wrong before we go down this. So I think it's interesting that it's less about the oppressor and the oppressed in this case, which would be something you'd identify more with Star Trek and Star Trek Twitter. And this is fascinating to me at how right wing of an episode this is because it has both the conservative and libertarian points of view buried within it. And it's rare you see that. I think Star Trek and Star Trek Twitter are very far apart from each other, but I get what you're saying for sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, things are more gray than they are black and white in my opinion. So um, I, I can say that he's, he's going more towards the libertarian values when it comes to that. Uh, and ultimately I, um, my opinion is that it takes a mix generally, like no one ideology or specific, um, thought has it absolutely right. Like we've discussed that, uh, certain points of view work with different arguments better. Like the example of the civil, like there are certain arguments that each point of view seems to win out against. So it's difficult to say that one of them will always be the superior point of view is that the point of that book anyway. Right. I mean, you, there are instances I think you can, you can nitpick and say one ideology fits a lot better than the others. Um, for sure. But just looking at specifically her, uh, looking at Satie again, uh, her wanting to find, uh, any kind of double agent or any kind of, uh, threat to the Federation. And then her also, uh, saying, okay, well, this was clearly an accident. We do have someone who's lied looking into them isn't unreasonable the uh or looking into them i don't think that's unreasonable necessarily it's then she goes too far and that's where i think the libertarianism in picard because picard himself can be quite um quite uh i don't want to use the word authoritarian but he can be very much about um the oppressed versus uh the oppressor and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, I just think that she's gone too far in her direction, and that's why he, he moved towards a more libertarian. Yeah, well, I guess it's the, the change that I saw in the past five years is that Picard, to me, like I, I think politically our definition of Picard being what would be considered like a classical liberal in this episode, which is that there's these sort of like renaissance um, ideologies that he buys into, mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very, you know, believes in the idea of liberty. Is it's like everybody is deserve their own due. It's a thing of individualism and stuff like that. Um, it's changed drastically in the past five years since I've watched it. That's the, that would be the the difference to me is that five years ago he wouldn't have seemed so. I think this Picard seems strangely out of date in the modern context. If if you look at like modern political discussion, Picard's argument here seems like it kind of makes sense, but it's also been like an undermined point of view, I think, to have. Like no one really respects that uh, Picard's point of view, I don't think, at any point. Like I I feel on a lot more people are willing to side with Satie 
in whatever thing that they're trying to go after. Like, I feel like Sati is more of like, this is the way that we need to run our politics at this point. You need to witch hunt. You need to uh, destroy the non-believers. There are sinners amongst us. It's all like this religious sort of language and stuff like that. And Picard's thing about um, leaving people alone, if they, if they haven't, basically leaving people alone doesn't seem to be the, the modern context. So he's, I like what he says in this episode, but it does feel like he, he's completely divorced from our modern political sense. Maybe not. But. I mean, when you think about it, I guess there's a little bit, uh, just based on the integers that you provided, I guess there's a little bit of um, uh, liberalism or progressivism in him in that he sees someone who shares the blood of an enemy as an oppressed individual that they're looked down upon. And so uh, the state shouldn't be used against them in that respect. I, I don't know. I haven't... Um, I'd, I'd have to consider that more. I do think that, again, I would agree that Picard is not – while everyone agrees with Picard and identifies with Picard, I think very few people actually take his words and take his um, teachings to heart, mm. like you said. I think uh, that everyone has a uh, belief or bias, religion, cult, whatever we want to call it, and that very few people see any nuance you're either with us or against us. Yeah. It's it's actually one of the things that make me on our watch through uh our watch through of TNG recently. It actually is the thing that knocks Picard down as a character for me is that the performance is a 10 out of 10, but I think Picard as a character is actually not that interesting. Um I find Cisco and Kirk to be much more compelling, interesting characters where it's it's you know, he's Picard's the, the paragon of virtue and everything like that, but he doesn't have a lot of flexibility or mysteriousness to him in the way that Cisco does. He doesn't have a kind of um, wild, wilder outlook, a little bit more of like a, you can push him in different directions in the way that you can push Kirk in different directions. And I think the performance is still really great, but I think Picard, if Picard was played by any other actor i think that the like public perception of the character would be much worse than it currently is i don't think people are coming to picard for the way that he's written as a kind of like interesting thing that they would want to see it's it's really picard makes this or it's stewart that makes him work in a lot of different ways i i couldn't i wouldn't say that about any of the other captains like if cisco were replaced by a different actor i think cisco is still a interesting character Hmm. Um, maybe I, I have a hard time seeing Cisco as anyone, anyone else, but I, I understand what you're saying. I think Picard ultimately, when you take the summation of his entire, uh, his entire character, I honestly find him to be, uh, and we don't, I don't want to get too far into it cause I'm sure it's outside the scope of this podcast, but I find him to be the, uh, the proto human for Starfleet as well as the um, uh, a Christian straw man, the straw man atheist that I've heard from some Christians. He seems to have some really uh, great or or nobility, great or um, well, he seems to have some nobility uh, in a lot of the things he believes, but he also seems to really stick to certain ideals without at any point um, going outside. He won't even question them. Uh, 
Yeah. So I, you know, it's his character is both great and, and tragic at the same time. Uh, and I think Patrick Stewart brings a lot to it. I would agree with that for sure. Well, that's why he's so inflexible. You know, you can't mm-hmm. have a pale moonlight moment with Picard. Oh, absolutely. Be- because it, yeah. it breaks him in a way. Like I, th- that's just why I find Cisco more um, interesting to watch. Even if I think the performance is worse, but I think it, like Cisco has a character is just better constructed to handle a lot of different storylines. Where Picard, Picard is the the well-worn path of a character, which is kind of a, um, he's like a superior version to Kirk. He's the elevated man above Kirk in the TOS era. And he's in this new, uh, paragon of virtue sort of path where everything he does is the right thing to do. He never really thinks anything wrong. Anything he does wrong was forced upon him. It's not of his own will that something went wrong. Someone made him do something and he feels sad about it. That's why, that's why the Borg storyline is the only thing they can do with Picard in the new series because it's the only thing that has any kind of trauma attached to him that they want to uh, pull out. So I just find him, he works perfectly for the show, but if you were to reboot, if you were to do a Kelvin version of the TNG crew, right, he's incredibly different to Kelvinize, incredibly difficult character to Kelvinize. I don't know what, he would not be Picard if you stuck him into a modern kelvin universe movie type setup you know would you agree with that uh yeah for the most part because i don't don't think you could write them in a way that would be done i think like to your point i the the way that i would look at it if i was going to write picard and not use the borg or whatever is um i would probably uh question i'd probably do the question of is the prime directive uh the end all be all is the um are the rules set by starfleet you know is is the federation really you know the good guys in the end that's the only other thing you could play off that's of the insurrection course. plot yeah. line you know yeah but i mean done better is what i would do sure, sure. I do but he's still uh, he's still yeah. i think even in even if insurrection was done better insurrection is picard clearly battling well i guess it's not true because of how confused the insurrection plot line is but picard is clearly working for the little guy, the underdog in that. Like right. there's, there's not a pale moonlight decision of I have to do something immoral to advance what's the best thing to do for the galaxy. Right. And I mean, it would fundamentally change the character again. I agree with you. I'm just, I'm saying in Picard, the only other thing I could think of was having him question this thing he's dedicated his life to. Mm-hmm. But again, that would fundamentally change the character as well. Uh, I think you could have vestiges of him in a Kelvin reboot, but uh, definitely a more nuanced character would would be necessary. I just don't think uh, the always being right it would would really cling to audiences at yeah. this point. Yeah, I don't think it makes sense for he's he's the proto Starfleet officer, but I don't think that's really I don't think I think he stops being human to a point because to be like perfect to not get upset when people die to uh, to um, always be above our core base emotions makes you not human anymore. So, yeah, Yeah. I think they'd have to change him for it to be relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Back to the drumhead. Favorite scene in this episode? Uh, my favorite scene is probably a lot of people's favorite scenes. I really like the chain is broken just because I like the messaging there. Is that the uh, Worf and Picard conference room scene? No, no, no. That's when uh, 
she Sati, and I don't like it because it's it's the point when he takes down Sati. I don't like okay. it for that. Yeah. Uh, but Sati's like, well, look at you. You serve the Borg. You've broken the Prime Directive six hundred times or whatever. Uh, all forced, by the way, like you said, he never did it on his own. Um, and he says, you know, this reminds me of a story. And he starts talking about her dad, you know, with the first chain, with the first link broken, the chain is lost or yep. whatever. I like the messaging of like of that. And I like the way that he presents it. Like you said, he's a really good actor. Uh, and so I I like the messaging and the, the way it's framed, uh, not necessarily because he defeats the bad guy, but just just because, you know, the way it is, the way it's put together. Yeah. I like the Worf and Picard conference room scene, I think, even though. I don't really understand the staging of why they're sitting at opposite ends of the table. I guess this, I think it's thematically is to show how distant they are from each other at that point. Mm-hmm. But um, I really something really smart that I think that they did was make Worf the secondary main character in this episode because Worf mm-hmm. is the perfect character to be swayed by Satie and then eventually come back to Picard's point of view. It right. really wouldn't work with anybody else except for him because of how that character is set up. It even goes down to how the cold open here is so effective that it establishes that there was an accident, that this Klingon is the suspect, and it sets up Worf, Worf as the character because Worf escorts him back to his quarters and then assaults him and says, like, I'm going to figure out what the fuck you did no matter what happens. Um, it's just a lot of groundwork being laid there. I, I like those two. Um, I like Picard talking about a drumhead trial. Or a, he doesn't call it a kangaroo court, which I think is mm-hmm. the more popular name. That's a probably a less uh, exciting title, but I would have gone to kangaroo court. I like how, uh, and you know, the thing is, is it's, it, in my opinion, it's a little too subtle. Uh, I like subtlety, but I think this is a little too subtle where he, uh, when he's doing his standoff with Picard and he's like, well, if he doesn't have any issues, why would he play the fifth? What does he have to hide? Mm-hmm. And then not like four minutes later, not uh, just a few scenes later, uh, it's brought up. It's like, well, your dad was a traitor. Uh, to the Klingons. And he's like, well, that's nobody's business. That doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, and I wish they had been a, a little more blunt, not too much, but a little more blunt with that. It's just, it's interesting when his history is brought up. Well, it doesn't matter as much, but if we're, if you we're mean just to explore, else, not, uh, do you mean just to the wish there would have been more dialogue about it less than like, cause it seems fairly <laughs> obvious that they're talking about his personal. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But I wish he would have had a realization or it would have been more emphasized because, again, he's all about going after someone else's um, history because why should they have to hide anything? But then when it's questioned about his dad, all of a sudden we hide stuff. We don't need to talk about that. It's not relevant. It's it's really easy to come after someone else and say, what do you have to hide? Why don't you just tell us your your full background until it's you? Yeah. And then there's a nuance to it. Yeah. I just I wish. Yeah. Again, I wish he had a realization or I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to think about how I would have written it to make it a little more obvious. But I, I would have given a little more emphasis on it for sure. My favorite small moment in this one is that at the end when the superior or the senior admiral comes on board uh, to watch over this trial uh the reason that you know that the whole thing has fallen apart is he just leaves the room which is fantastic he does not stand up and go this kangaroo court will be called to a halt now by the by the grace of god or whatever like that would have been fairly awful i really just like the fact that he just stands up and walks out of the room and everyone is watching him go and knows what it means but satia is in the middle of her um i'll bring down i brought down better men than you Picard you son of a bitch I I think that's a really effective moment that um, could have been ruined by having him say something 
I mean, I thought it was really brave to have her say "you son of a bitch" in the actual mm-hmm. episode too. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic yeah. uh, as a kid when I first saw. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think it's also really telling and really interesting that he comes at all. I think it shows. Um, I think it's a good emphasis on how someone like her, and it ties into the end of the episode, how someone like her can really seem like she makes a lot of sense. Like the head of Starfleet security is coming. This is such a big deal, you know? Yeah. And then he, he sees that she's she's quite gone. Um, I think for me, the small moment, uh, you didn't ask me, but if I was going to do a small moment, I would probably do, I think when you had Picard talking with the, uh, with the enlisted man, just, you know, yeah. uh, getting to know him, getting to, to have a better understanding. What the hell is his uh, name? His name is Simon Tarsis, right? Simon Tarsis, yeah. that's his name, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just having a, a conversation, you know, why, why did you do this? Why did you join Starfleet? And then really the, why did you lie? And, uh, the more he talks about how, you know, it's just, it's so natural. People hate the Romulans so much that could have kept me out. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good moment for sure. Brings up, I'm always conflicted about, um, people who get fired 20 years down the line when it's revealed that they lied on their resume. That always, mm-hmm. I'm always never sure how to feel about that because the 20 years thing is the difference, I guess. Like if you've been doing the job for long enough, I don't know what difference it makes if you lied on your resume. Like if you lie on your resume and you can't do the job, that's one thing. But clearly this guy can do the job and people who get fired from being like CEOs of companies or whatever uh, can do the job. It, it is a weird ethical conundrum of um, how far you can push your... <laughs> push your resume before it becomes a problem and you prove that you can't do the job. Uh, but I always think about that in this episode too. Well, I think there's a difference between militaries of which this is one and businesses. Um, I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I would almost agree with you. It comes down to trust. If you're going to lie at the very beginning, can you, uh, do it? And I think context matters too, right? I think that saying, Oh, it's a Vulcan. My, my uncle was a Vulcan is a natural lie to tell when people are bigoted or racist. Mm-hmm. I just, I just think it's a natural lie. Um, like going back to what you were talking about with civil rights and such in the 1950s, uh, or in a worse place in like the, um, being Jewish in 1940s Germany, if mm-hmm. you could hide that, you probably would be inclined to. You yep. know what I'm saying? So I think context really does uh, does matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least for the military, I could see them making the argument, well, you know, can we trust him or not? Yeah, again, he is, they, are, they, are the, they are the enemy it comes down to. Picard has the, you know, Picard with his... Um, libertarian view in this episode is it's all about the like his prior history doesn't mean anything it's the right. individual is the the point of how you view things um and I so mean, you, I'm can, with you. you can't hold like it against th- him i didn't mean to interrupt i'm sorry no but I, i'm just i'm with you i'd like to think he kept his job and that ultimately everything worked out because it just seems like wrong place wrong time and a what i would consider a minor mistake yeah you know? yeah and with the genetic history of those two species, just be like, oh, he told me he was a Vulcan. He's got right. pointy ears. I, I, I didn't ask any questions at that point. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How much do you really know about your grandfather anyway? I don't know anything right. about my grandfather. So, you know. He only, he only came around like for one birthday. I don't know. I that's right. Know I know I they, they all served in wars, but that's about like the extent <laughs> yeah. of what I know. 
Right, exactly. Um, let's see. Anything else about the drum head? We talked about that. Uh, talked about Satie. Last last point that I'll bring up. I love the I love hostile Betazoid character. I think that is an underutilized aspect of TNG when you have a group of telepaths, and this guy's the only one that I've seen weaponized in a way that he is also bad at his job. Like it highlights a way that Troy could be potentially inept at her job, but this guy's like. Well, he's he's definitely hiding something, and everyone goes, "Well, he's he's hiding something." He's, it's, it's, I feel like Troy could say this person is hiding something about literally every character that she ever walks into because everybody is literally hiding something. Um, so I just I really enjoyed weaponized Betazoid. I wish they had done more with that because it's a fascinating concept. I like it. Sh- I like it showing to Picard how unethical he is with um, with uh, Deanna, because if you remember the very first at the very first of the episode, Deanna was basically that guy, right? Because yep. she was sitting there with him, and uh, he even brings that up. He's like, you know, this is wrong. You shouldn't be using your Betazoid for that. And Sati basically said, well, you are too. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you're right. Yeah. I, maybe I should. <laughs> You know, you, you when you're right, you're right. Not you got me. Instance, you're you right. got yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah. I, I wish that that had had more impact in the future. Like he had, because again, it was just a one-off, and they don't really, you know, look at it more than that. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I liked, I liked that they weaponized uh, telepathy and uh, Betazoids. I wish they would have done it more, and that could have been an interesting. Um, Either doing it in that episode, that would have made it a little fool, or going into the into another episode where they really look at the ethics of having a telepath and using yeah. a telepath. Uh, and then, you know, what would have been great is if they had talked about it and done it in TNG and then really leaned into it during the Dominion War. Yeah. Like, uh, say, the Vortas were really um, – or not the Vortas. Maybe the Jim Hadar were really open to um, Betazoid telepathy. Like, mm-hmm. really uh, – they couldn't resist it. And then really look at if that's something Starfleet should be doing. I think that I think that's a great point. Yeah, it's a it's something that builds into like Section Thirty One. Section Thirty One would weaponize telepaths. I think like that oh. that, that would be the thing to do. I, it's a, oh, yeah. I think this episode pushes back on it slightly just by, you know, the the Betazoid. Uh, I was going to say sort of like Satie, but I think Satie is wrong. The Betazoid never actually does or says anything factually incorrect. You know, like he mm-hmm. is doing his job and sensing general dishonesty and that something is not right here. And he's correct about that. But it goes, I guess it goes to show more about how the the general sense of being an empath and just getting a general sense of feelings is maybe not all that useful uh, or helpful here. It's the, the Bill right. James argument from his uh, popular crime book. Right. I mean, it just, again, it goes to the whole reason the fifth, uh, fifth, uh, I was going to say amendment, the fifth, whatever, uh, exists. Yeah. Why pleading the fifth exists just because you plead the fifth doesn't mean you're guilty of what you're pleading the fifth for. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause he, cause again, he's not factually wrong, but he, uh, is misleading cause they, they were guilty of something or they felt guilty at a minimum, maybe not even guilty, felt guilty about something, but it wasn't what they were looking for. Yeah. So, yeah. When you the the Simon Tarsi's character does something important. When you plead the fifth, do not continue by saying, "I plead the fifth because 
it incriminates oh, yeah. myself. <laughs> to answer this I don't question. think Riker was the best uh, lawyer in that. To be quite honest, there Riker's a terrible a lawyer. Times. He's he's always given the lawyer <laughs> job, and he's terrible at being a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. He because there was a lot of times I was looking at that, and I was like, man, I'm not a lawyer, but I felt like he could shut Sati down yeah. quite a few times in what she was. Wouldn't have helped the pacing and wouldn't help the story, but I think there were times he probably could have shut Sati down. Riker's uh, greatest moment as a lawyer is when he takes Data's arm off and is and shuts him off, and he's like, I've destroyed this machine and he sits down and cries about it in measure of a man that's my favorite Riker is a lawyer moment yeah he's not um i i we've talked in previous episodes about we don't have to do that but like star trek's um belief that just anybody can become a lawyer like anyone can step into the role of being a good defense lawyer is uh very laudable i think but kind of misguided well you know gene's opinion on that right what roddenberry wanted no, what was what's that? He didn't want any lawyers. He said they didn't exist. Right, they would hash yeah, out yeah, their yeah. arguments without contracts. And yeah, stuff that, like that. that lawyers didn't exist at all in the universe, uh, and uh, he had, people had to override him and fight him on that. It was, which uh, maybe so because he hated his lawyers. lawyer. Yeah, his yeah. The, the, whatever that that guy that guy who was the lawyer for the first couple seasons, he probably just hated <laughs> that guy so much. <laughs> who took a lot of the credit? And yeah, took the credit of, and rewrote scripts and stuff. Yeah, and did a lot of unethical things. That could be. Maybe that's why he doesn't like lawyers. <laughs> yeah, just find a better lawyer, Gene. That's all you got to do. <laughs> um, I guess we're done with this one. So we usually rank these on a scale of one to five. What are you going to give this one? I think I know, but it's nice to have you say it. Um, I mean, for the most part, I think it's really solid. It, it depends on when you look at the grading system. Like, does something have to be absolutely perfect to get a five? If so, I'd make it a 4.5, but hmm. I don't, I don't generally do that. I, th- I think it's a solid episode. There's some things we discussed with it, but it's definitely a five. I think it's, um, one of the best of Trek, um, specifically when you're looking at morality versus, eth- um, I was about to say ethnicity, not that, uh, ethicality, yeah. I guess, if that's a word. And, uh, I think it's, uh, one of those things that, like you said, it's timeless and it can really speak to almost any, as long as we're going to remain human, uh, then I think it'll be able to speak to generations. Yeah. I give it a five as well. Um, I actually don't think it makes many miss. I don't think it has any mistakes in it. Actually. I think it does everything within the confines of what a Star Trek TNG episode can do. I think it's aged remarkably well. I think that it is, as you were saying, just an excellent prism into how, how people's minds work as to what they mm-hmm. think the actual enemy here is. Um, I just see so much of the modern discourse about the witch hunts that are done um, by political groups, be it like the progressive left and the far right. Like this is just the new way of being that you you, mm-hmm. you do this kind of thing. And Picard's warning that you have to be vigilant about this and push back at it actually, sadly, feels like it's kind of failing in a modern Mm -hmm. context. I just don't think that people really respect those values anymore, um, which will be sad in a decade when we see where that leads us down the path of. But it's um, you should always be wary of people who are making a moral point and are determined to make that moral point no matter what the evidence shows. And I think that that's just a huge part of politics right now. Um, and it's discouraging, but I think the drumhead is a good uh, warning against that stuff. Well, there's two things I'd say to that. First off, I think the form it took was probably different, but I think that it's probably always been this way. I mean, maybe we can have a conversation about that at some point, mm-hmm. uh, just in different forms. And the last thing I'd say is if you noticed – 
Picard for 90 to 95% of that episode generally stood alone. There were some people that agreed with him or thought, but for the most part, he was going up against Worf. He was going up against Satie. Starfleet security, the head of Starfleet security was there to see this this uh, this craziness that's happening. Uh, so the top echelons of Starfleet were even looking into this, you know, this horrificness. And so um, he stood alone for a long time. And so maybe... I don't know if if it stays to the episode, uh, the prevalence will be there. I don't know that it will, but I'm just saying if it. Are you saying that like every individual needs to stand up for themselves in these contexts? I'm saying that he was the voice of reason and and pointing out you know uh, how Sati has gone too far. And he stood alone for the long time. And you were saying, you know, it feels like it's gone opposite that, that, it, you know, the, the conversation is changing. Yeah. Um, but I think that the conversation was changing for most of that uh, episode and he continued to fight against it until he won. So, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, how likely? I don't know, but it's possible. I think, that in people- the, yeah, I think in the narrative of Star Trek episode, it is possible. I think that the current, current witch hunting online is so effective that being the individual is not enough to protect yourself against anything of mm-hmm. uh, that way. Um, you have to really stand alone. You know, you have to be like uncancelable or whatever they say. Like, and a lot of people are if you're famous enough or you have enough money or whatever. But um, I think that the the effect of that is not on the individual. It's on a societal level that shuts down things. So the, right. the more the cloud overhangs everything, the less likely that any individual can stand up and say something because the cloud is too heavy to break through. Right. Uh, that's it for the drumhead top 10 episode. I don't know where I would put it. There's a lot of episodes in the top 10. Let me see here. I'm just going to go quickly. Uh, at least 10. Yesterday's Enterprise, Best of Both Worlds. It's not better than that. Inner Light, no. Cause and Effect, no. Sarek and Darmok. It's ahead of the Survivors. So it's it's in eighth place on my current list. After Yesterday's Enterprise, Best of Both Worlds, one. Inner Light, Cause and Effect, Sarek, Darmok. And then I would put in the drumhead and then the Survivors. That would be it. Bumps off Chain of Command Part 2 by doing this. So bye, Jellico. Yeah. We, har- we hardly knew you. Um, that's it. Laura, thanks very much for coming on and talking about the drumhead. Do you wanna, uh, people probably know, but do you want to tell people where they can find you? Uh, sure. Yeah, I have a, a channel on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Laura Reloaded, uh, mostly known for Star Trek. Uh, a lot of it is analysis and just uh, starting a conversation. So uh, talking about what we've been talking about before, if you're looking for echo chambers uh, to hate on uh, new Trek or disco, disco era Trek, uh, or you're looking to hate on legacy or anything like that, and everyone agree with you, not a place to come. But if you like conversations and uh, taking a look at Trek in a way that you may have not considered, then definitely youtube.com forward slash more reload. Sure. Guys, check them out subscribe hit the bell as they say uh we'll be continuing with all of our lower decks and enterprise coverage uh there'll be another one of these interview guest podcasts coming up soon i don't think it's been determined yet who's going to be or what it's going to be about but they'll be out there uh thank you very much for listening support the show patreon.com slash the penske file it's the best way to do it you get a whole bunch of extra content Whenever this month, I think we talked about Tombstone this month. It might be the past month. So if you guys like Westerns, talk, you can join the Patreon to find that out. Support us to uh, ensure that we cover every single episode of Voyager because that's always teetering back and forth whether or not that'll hold. 
you subscribe, you make it all the more likely that we'll do every single episode of Voyager before we turn 80 years old and die. Thank you very much for listening. Laura, thanks again for coming on. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. And guys, we will see you later.